We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal, and we're recording this episode on Tuesday, November 21st. We are two days away from Thanksgiving, so I don't know what you, you say, but I am like really looking forward to that because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Um, but we're, we're talking today, uh, coming off of a pretty brutal loss in terms of just going to the negatives right away here, coming off a brutal game from the Chicago Bears where uh, they, they lose the Detroit Lions. 31 to 26. They were in control for the entire way. And then they just, one of the just most epic collapses that you'll see from an NFL team, um, giving up two touchdowns in the final four minutes of the game. Um, and really just blowing. I mean, what's the other way to say it? They just, they just completely blew this one after having a chance to really have a signature win for the Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus uh, regime here. Um, I've already talked about this quite a bit because uh, Zach and I did a post-game pod, but you said, first of all, how are you doing today, man? And then you know, what were your kind of thoughts on the game as a whole from Sunday? Yeah, I'm doing well. And the game on Sunday was about as, I feel like, bears-ish as it gets, right? Because you kind of race out to an early lead. And at one point, halfway through, I think it was the fourth quarter, you had a 12-point lead. And then, you know, boom, you figure out a way to blow it. And can we be honest about something? So it's like there's there comes a point where you kind of have to stop as a team and as a coach, right? Saying, well, we've got to finish. We're so close. We're right there. Well, the reality is very simple, okay, is that you and I, who, again, have been here at the Bear Report for like four to five years now, we have kind of gone ahead and We've heard a lot of, yeah, we're almost there. We need to find the whys. We're so close. We're figuring this out. And these are statements that have been the theme for the franchise for essentially the last 
decade, right? In terms of they're almost close, they're right there, we're figuring it out, and it just hasn't happened. And so Sunday's game was, to me, just another typical, like, Bears loss that you look at and you say there were three or four decisions that this game ultimately came down to. You talk about the fourth and one along with the fourth and five, you know, where you go ahead and you say, yeah, we're just going to kick the field goals. Well, your defense was playing pretty well, right? So in my mind, you should go for it because you go for a field goal to play it safe to temporarily protect the lead, right? But you go for it on fourth down and be risky if you're actually trying to win. And this is a staff where they've shown time in and time out like they're just going to be conservative and play it safe and unfortunately that's not winning football in the nfl that's not a winning formula for success yeah i i said it on the pod with uh with zach but like look you have to look at this if you're the bears you're going into forward field you're the underdog here you're trying to make a statement uh, to kind of turn not only your season around but your entire regime around, right? Because Eberflus, th- this is you know his job security right here. I mean, this is this is a chance for him to kind of prove and make a statement that he deserves to keep his job going forward into next season, whether you know that's going to be the case or not. Like we'll we'll see how that all plays out. But this was a, a big chance for him to go on the road and get a statement win against this Lions team and prove himself to and have this entire team prove themselves against a team that's going to be among the best in the NFC when it's all said and done. They're going to be the division winners, you'd assume, at this point in the year. Um, and like like you said, like you have to be more aggressive on those fourth down you know, decisions and really just like not playing for the field goal. You know what I mean? Like Because they had a couple times where you know they were in positions where they were in kind of third and long, third and medium. And instead of being aggressive and, and putting the ball in Justin Fields' hands and let him, you know, sling the ball and try and make a play on third down, they would just call like a halfback draw or halfback dive and try and set up the field goal. And look, as as well as the defense played for the majority of yesterday's game, like your defense is not going to stop this Detroit Lions offense for long. This this Lions offense is too good to be bottled up for that long. They are going to make adjustments. They are going to make plays down the stretch, and that's exactly what you did. So. If you are Matt Aberflus in that situation, you have to come with the mentality that we are going to take this win. We're not going to play not to lose. We're not going to play conservatively. You know, we're going to try to score touchdowns here and not play for field goals. And he just didn't do that. And that just just nail the coffin for this coaching staff, in my opinion, because again, they had every opportunity to win this game. And this felt like a coaching loss to where the coaching really held them back, whether it's the situational decisions, the situational play calls. Um, just not having, you know, your guys prepared in the final couple minutes of the game to make a stop. And, you know, Eberflus defense, I mean, how many soft zones late in a game are you going to play with no pass rush, no blitzing, you know, no pressure on the quarterback? Like, come on, man. Like, and we, we can get into like the whole like Montez Sweat not only playing like 60% of the snaps or something ridiculous where you – spend a second round pick and you're giving this guy $25 million a year and you have him on the bench on, you know, key plays in the game, you know, whether it's on a two minute uh, drive late in the first half, or he was on the bench um, when they scored the touchdown going into halftime, you know, he, he's not on the field for key downs on um, the last two drives where you want to get your best pass rusher theoretically on the field. There's just so many questionable coaching decisions that ended up leading to this loss 
And it just goes to show that this coaching staff is just made up of a, of a bunch of cowards, really, when you when you boil it all down. And at the end of the day, that's just you're not going to be able to win and sustain success when you have a scared mentality like that from your head coach and cycling down to your coaching staff there. And that battles up to the players as well, where you can see it over the players, you get in these late game situations, they play tight as well. And speaking of the players, I guess we can get to some of the performances. I mean, the big story from this game um, has to be Justin Fields in his first game back. And we can kind of transition there because, you know, the quarterback is going to be on topic for us today in terms of the draft, in terms of our episode. So we can talk about Justin Fields because Justin Fields, you know, he has a lot to prove over this last stretch of the season coming off the thumb injury. And you can see it yesterday on Sunday that the thumb is still kind of bothering him a little bit. He was kind of like shaking it off at times. It seemed like yesterday and kind of toying it with toying with it um, to make it work out, I guess, or, you know, relieve some pain it seems, but overall, I I know the last play is going to stick in a lot of people's minds. I thought Justin Fields had a good day on Sunday. Um, one of his better games, definitely of the season, definitely one of the better games of his career. So when you look at Justin Fields' performance yesterday, you said there, there's a lot of talk in terms of can Justin Fields save his job in terms of going forward to next year. Do you think this was the right step in the direction for them to be able to do that? It was yes and no. And, and here's why. Because it was good to see him kind of coming – back after like a month month and a half off and you know really making a lot of really nice throws I felt like he was out there playing more loose compared to the last time that we saw him but ultimately he made some really good decisions he came in the game you know they clearly had more design runs dialed up for him which newsflash seems to work to their advantage and then on top of that, you know, he found DJ Moore, Darna Mooney, you know, with instant throws. I think you're right. The thumb certainly bothered him because he tried to get the deep passing game going early and often. And those would really have been major sparks for this team. But um, you could just tell that the wrap around his thumb isn't allowing him to just fully grip the ball the way that he feels comfortable. And so as a result, you know, he's not able to put all that torque and all that arm strength into what he usually does with a lot of those deep passes. And again, you know, for anyone saying he can't throw deep, he can throw deep plenty of times. We've seen it. Okay. So the reason it doesn't move the needle necessarily for me is because we've been here before. And we've been here before in terms of Justin Fields comes out and Justin Fields has a really good game and the Bears some way, somehow figure out a way to lose. Now, people are right. This is a result of the situation that is around him that is really hampering him from being able to continue to play football at a high level, and they're not getting the most out of him. They're not getting the most out of any player, let's be honest. But in the quarterback's case, it's so key simply because at some point, you have to start being the reason, despite the talent around you, that you're winning, which is not like there's no talent around him. If there's no talent around him, then it's a completely different conversation but since there is some talent around him that talent's just unfortunately being underutilized because of bad coaching bad pay bad play calling you know bad execution it's also just really bad play design i know that there was the one play on sunday where 
both DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney ran the exact same route and ended up in the exact same part of the field, except they were just like three to five yards from each other, right? So it's those types of things there that make you look and say, okay, you know, Fields is certainly progressing, but to be fully honest with you, right? And you can see he's progressing, he can still do it, but it's is it really enough for a guy that's in the middle of his third season in the league? Probably not. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I'll add this for you right here. I'll, I'll ask you a question you say. When when Justin Fields had, you know, on that final drive, when he took the field, 26 left, seconds left, he got two timeouts, all he needed is a field goal. Did you have any confidence in him to drive the Bears down the field and get him in a spot to tie the game? See, I had very little confidence in him to be able to do that. And the reason being is because it's just like – He's been put in these situations before, and at some point, again, you just have to execute. Now, mind you, people are going to be like, okay, well, what about Darnell Wright basically getting blown up by Aiden Hutchinson? Well, part of that is also, I think, the fault of the coaching staff because it's like you probably should have put a tight end there on the side that Aiden Hutchinson was lined up, which goes back to bad play calling and execution and lack of situational awareness. But then again, you know, there was plenty of time for fields to step up and navigate the pocket, you know, take off running even to go ahead and gain some yards and give the Bears some breathing room. Yeah. And I think that's all fair, right? Because look, how many situations has we seen where Justin Fields has been in a chance to drive. And I know this is going to sound meatball, and I don't mean to sound meatball right? But how many chances have we seen Justin Fields have it be out there in a position to drive the Bears down the field to tie or even win the game? And whether it's the fault of the players around him or him not making the necessary plays and him making the, ultimately the bad decisions or bad plays to end up losing the game. Like how many times have he, has he not gotten the job done in those critical spots, right? And – I say that I bring that up because I could kind of predict how this game was going to go. Once the Lions started making that drive on their final drive where they scored a touchdown, once they got, you know, in bears territory, I could, could have told you exactly how it was going to go. And I was predicting it um, in a couple of group chats with some buddies of mine where I'm like, here's what's going to happen. The Lions are going to go down. They're going to score. They're going to get the two point conversions. They're going to, there's going to be enough time on the clock for Justin Fields and the bears to have a chance to go tie the game or win the game. 
and they're going to find some way to mess it up and turn the ball over here and make a game losing play. And boom, that's exactly what happened, right? And look, it's not all Justin Fields' fault, right? Like you said, like Donald Wright gets beat clearly off the line by Aiden Hutchinson, who, you know, Wright had a pretty good game against Hutchinson all game long, all things considered. But on that play, Hutchinson definitely smoked him on that one. You're right. They could have definitely done more to maybe add some chip help there, knowing that Wright was going to be one-on-one against Aiden Hutchinson. But also Justin Fields, like, this is where his lack of, I guess, feel in the pocket and ability to sense the rush kind of hurts him here because you can clearly tell that he doesn't sense the pressure. He doesn't feel it until the very last seconds. And he doesn't, when he does sense the pressure, he's not protecting the ball. And what you have is you have a fumble, strip sack, whatever, you lose the game right then and there, right? And look, Justin Fields, like, to his credit, though, he played a really good game. Like, for for the most part, he was doing all the things that we kind of have been asking of him to do in terms of doing a better job of, you know, being calm in the pocket, not running himself into sacks. You know, he, he was generally a good decision maker in terms of protecting the ball. Um, he had another, like, turnover-worthy play in this game where he near, nearly threw an interception targeting more. But other than that, like, he was very safe with the ball. He was making a lot of nice plays on the move. Uh, you saw Luke Getze kind of tap into his abilities as a runner. You know, 18 carries, 104 yards. Yes, some of those came on some pretty key scrambles, but also the Bears made it a point of emphasis to use the quarterback run game and use a lot of read option. And you saw Justin Fields' kind of special athletic traits really showcase itself. Then also the deep throw, the deep touchdown and more was a thing of beauty, right, where you know, he, he feels the pressure. He steps up in the pocket, which he has not done a lot in his career as a Bears quarterback here. You know, steps up in a spot, good pocket navigation, uses his eyes to get the safety off of DJ Moore, and then he throws just a dart down the field uh, for the touchdown. I mean, that's some of the best quarterback play that we've seen from Justin Fields in the NFL. So all that stuff was really nice to see. But, again, you when it comes down to it, he's a big part – like. For all the Bears fans out there who don't want to put any blame on Justin Fields for the loss here, he is a part of the team, right? He had opportunities to make plays or make a play late in this game, and he just didn't take advantage of it when he was there, right? And it always seems like there's always that case late in the game where Justin Fields has an opportunity to win these games, and for whatever reason, just he just isn't able to come up with the, enough plays uh, to put you over the top, which is what you need if you if you want to commit to him as a franchise quarterback and have him be the long term guy um, at the end of this year. And, and I'll throw out a couple stats here before we move on because we can certainly talk about Justin Fields all day. But I, frankly, I think it's going to be a, a very tired conversation uh, compared to the, when we get to the end of the year here. But just a couple of things of note. So so far, Justin Fields, you know, he is twenty first so far this year in PFF passing grade. He is 17th in overall grade among quarterbacks who have at least 200 dropbacks this year because Justin Fields has 233 dropbacks as of right now. Um, He's just about average in big-time throw rate. He's just about average in turnover-worthy play rate um, so far this year. And his sack rate for the third consecutive year in a row is above 10%. His adjusted net yards per attempt is below average for the third year in a row. At what time do we have to have – keep on having this conversation about Justin Fields being the long-term guy here potentially, right? Because in your third year, there should be no doubt at this point of whether we should not be having these conversations, right? We should know either Justin Fields is the guy and we're committing to him, we're giving him long-term extension at the end of the year, or we still have questions 
and we have to start thinking about ways to maybe move on. And if the Bears earn the spot to move on, I think, look, at this point, I'm still in the camp that you probably draft a quarterback next year if you have a top two pick because I'm a big Caleb Williams guy. I'm a big Drake May guy. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams here in a second. But overall, look, Justin Fields, he has six more games to kind of change the narrative on his career, whether that's here in Chicago or somewhere else. The best thing for him, the best thing for the Bears moving forward is for him to kind of put pressure on Ryan Poles and the decision makers for the Bears um, and make it a little bit more difficult because not only will that, you know, force him to have to make a decision there, but also if they do move on, that raises his trade value, right? So, you know, there, there, there is no positive to him not playing well, I should say. And we'll just have to see how these last game, six games play out. So I, I would say, so Sunday, a positive for Justin Fields in terms of showing his viability as a starter. But unfortunately, I don't think it really changes anything, like you said, in terms of his long-term outlook with the team. If the Bears have a top-two pick, I do expect them to move on and draft another quarterback and move on from Justin Fields. All right. With that said, speaking of quarterbacks here, let's move on to some college football talk here because um, we did have something interesting, I guess, happen over the past weekend, and that's you know Caleb Williams, quarterback for the USC, uh, you know the top quarterback prospect in this year's draft for many people, and I'm sure we're going to get into it by the end of the year. Um, that it's going to be a, a t- an interesting conversation between him and Drake May of, of who's quarterback one. But Caleb Williams, final game here um, as a USC Trojan, final game as a college quarterback is as we're assuming because he's probably not going to play in the bowl game. He's probably going to enter the draft at the end of this, of this season, and. You know, Caleb Williams was a guy that had a lot of hype going into this year, and it seems like the conversation on him has kind of turned where he was kind of hyped up as this generational prospect early on in the year, and now the conversation on him is completely different where we've almost gone the other way, where now everyone's saying he's overrated, he's going to be a bust at the next level. You know, this year was an adjunct failure failure for him. Like, the Bears cannot draft this guy if, he, if he's available for them at number one. You have to stick with either Drake May or, or Justin Fields. When you're looking at Caleb Williams' season, you said, first of all, what were your thoughts on his season and how it all played out? And secondly, you know, where does this put him as a prospect? Where does this put him with the Chicago Bears in terms of how they should view Caleb Williams? You know, his season overall was, I think, still phenomenal. Yes, he had a couple key losses here, and he's had some of those over the last few weeks. But then, you know, you look at it and you kind of go ahead and say, okay, well, Caleb still came out. He still found a way to go ahead and win, you know, every week or at least put his team in a position to win every single week. And I'll be honest, I think part of the problem today and the reason that these quarterbacks are so overrated is because people don't analyze entire game tapes. People analyze basically highlight tapes that scroll through their Twitter feeds through commercial breaks and, you know, just throughout the week in general on social media. And, and so, so the thing is this, right, is Caleb's very much a backyard player and he is still at the end of the day, going to be a guy who comes and gets drafted by an NFL team, and he's still going to have a round one grade on him. He's still going to be a top t- 
three top five pick in this draft. And the reason being is because scouts and GMs and coaches, they're going to look at the handful of bad games he had and say, okay, well, how do you go about responding to this? Right. It's not like they're evaluating the sample of work that is only, you know, the Washington game or the Notre Dame game that that's not what they're doing, right? They're going to go through and they're going to evaluate basically all of last year, all of this year, dating back to his time in 2021, you know, where he briefly saw the field in Oklahoma to get an idea of just how good he can be. And people want to say, well, he's going to be a bust. There's still a lot that Caleb brings to the table that makes him such a intriguing prospect. He's not going to be, Again, he's like, whatever, six feet tall, right? Six, six, one. He's not as big or as physically athletic or gifted as a guy like a Drake Mai, right? He's not even in the same tier in terms of physical attributes and traits as a guy like Justin Fields. But Caleb still, from a mental standpoint, plays the game really well. He still goes ahead and, you know, he's willing to make those off script, off platform throws. And the thing is, the big thing is when plays break down Caleb's willing to go ahead and he's willing to kind of make something happen right it's not like he just sits there in the pocket and takes a sack notes I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna figure something out I will say this so part of the reason I think we're seeing Caleb Williams struggle this year is because if you look at the USC offense last year right especially the aerial attack who they have it was a first round pick in Jordan Addison that he was well Jordan Addison was at uh, USC for some time, and then he transferred over to Pitt. But the point is that Lincoln-Riley offense, right, when they've been known to have playmakers, the thing is is that the quarterbacks have typically benefited, right? And so I think part of it is also this, is Caleb doesn't really have any, like, top-tier, you know, receivers around him nor does you know you could argue drake Maye, but then again like caleb still made it work with whatever talent he has around him now from a bears perspective this is where things get interesting because you're looking at a guy who his projections quite frankly are all over the place which deservedly so because watching caleb williams i mean i will tell you right now i'm not sure where he fits into what team at the next level. And then you have the other half of it, which is compare him to a guy like Drake May. And Drake May, you're looking at and you're saying, okay, he could fit in the Shanahan style of offense. He could fit into the West Coast style of offense that the Chiefs run. He could fit into the sort of offense that the Bills go ahead and run, right? Three very different systems. And you can plug and play him into any scheme, whereas Caleb Williams, it's going to take a team tons of time to figure it out. And quite frankly, for a team like the Bears, I mean, the question is going to become, right? Like, how much time do you really have to develop a rookie quarterback knowing that um, you may have unlimited draft capital, you may have unlimited resources, but is this guy really the best fit for your team simply because you don't know who your head coach is going to be next year, right? You know what some of your playmakers and the roster and the core around a rookie quarterback is going to look like. But the question is, is 
you spent two years building it up if you're Ryan Poles. Are you really going to plug a guy like Caleb Williams into that to get instant results? Or are you going to go ahead and say, yeah, maybe, just maybe, since it's the coaches that are going to be working with him day to day, we need to let the coaching staff have more of a say in this. So for the Bears, like Caleb Williams makes sense. But then again, for a player of his nature, you better hire the top dog on the market to get the most out of him and give them time to develop him. Yeah, I think coaching staff is going to really dep- is really going to have a heavy influence on who the Bears end up p- picking or, or sticking with. I guess that you could say if you want to put Justin Fields in the conversation uh, for next year's draft, right? Because I said it before on an earlier pod, but Drake May, the gap between him and Caleb Williams is a lot closer than I think a lot of people thought it would be going into the year, and some of that is due to Caleb Williams kind of you know having some rough stretches and kind of regressing in some areas. Um, you know, at a certain spot this year. And other reason for that is because Drake May has just been very, very consistent this year in terms of what he's brought to the table. Um, and what's going to come down to, I think, is that whatever coaching staff you bring in here, whether it's Ben Johnson, whether it's Bobby Slowick, you know, Eric Bianami, whoever it is going to be, whoever your offensive coach is, and it better be an offensive coach, but whoever that guy is, and he comes in and says, you know, I – like Caleb Williams, his style of play, or I like Drake May, his style of play. I can develop that. I can I can go with that. Whoever your head coach prefers, that's the guy you go with because I think these guys are close enough as prospects where it doesn't really matter in terms of the evaluation there. So it's a it's a stylistic um, preference, I guess. I because I guess you could say in terms of who you end up selecting there. Um, and yeah, so if Ben Johnson says, if you hire Ben Johnson, he comes in and says, Caleb Williams is my guy. I can work with this. We're going to develop an offense around him. And we're going to find ways to kind of mask his weaknesses and accentuate his strengths. Then you go ahead and do it, right? Because Caleb Williams certainly has the talent to be able to, you know, really fit into a variety of different offenses, right? And I think one of the points you made that really stood out that I think two points that you made that I think make a lot of sense here in terms of one, look at the talent that was around him at USC this year that can kind of lead to the struggles. Like, like I said, didn't have Jordan Addison. If you want to compare it to Justin Fields, compare it to Justin Fields, like at Ohio State, Justin Fields had Chris Olave to throw to. He had Garrett Wilson to throw to, two first round pick wide receivers that last year. Jackson Smith and Jibba was there. He didn't really have a big role in that team, but he was there at Ohio State. So you could argue three first round pick wide receivers. He had NFL starters all across the offensive line. You know, for Kel Williams, I'm not sure there's a single guy in that offensive line that's going to be a starter in the NFL long term. I mean, I, I, unless I'm you know missing a guy or two, that offensive line certainly is you know took a step back this year compared to last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the talent was just not there, and we even talk about the defense too, which Alex Grinch's defense was just embarrassing every single week for USC. Like Kel Williams in a situation where he had to put up 50 points a game, otherwise his team had no chance of scoring. And when you're a quarterback and you you're in that position where you have to score that many points a game just to have a chance at winning. It's certainly it's going to make you press a little bit and have to feel like you have to make every single play. And one point I think you made that I think makes a lot of sense here is that, look, Caleb Williams, did he struggle this year? Yeah, he did. He did have some really rough moments. You can go back to the Arizona game where he was not very sharp in the passing game. Notre Dame game obviously was a rough one from a variety of different standpoints, just Probably the worst game he's ever played uh, in his college, maybe even high school career. But I will say down the stretch of this season, and I said at the time that, you know, a lot of his 
where he goes in the draft is going to depend on how he responds to his pro performance against Notre Dame. You look at how he performed late in the year. He really did step it back up. I think <coughs> when you look at his final like five games of the season against Utah, California, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, like, you know, he had seven touchdowns to one interception um, over that stretch. He had four straight, four straight 300 yard games. His yards per attempts were above eight and a half yards per attempt in four of those five games. And even for the passing metrics, like PFF's grading, he was good in all those games from a grading standpoint. His big time throws went from, you know, not having a ton of big time throws early in the year. He had 18 big time throws during that five game stretch. And he cut down on his turnover worthy play rate as well. Only five turnover worthy plays. So it's not like, he had like a really bad stretch to end the year. And I've seen a lot of Bears fans say this where, oh, well, look at Caleb Williams. He sucked at the end of the year. How can you go with this guy? It's like, no, objectively, he was playing well at the end of the year. It's just that the situation around Caleb just was not going to do it for him this year. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned some of the coaches, right? So it is key to keep in mind when you look at some of the coaches that these guys are working with right now. Okay, you look at um, Bobby Slowick, right? Now, Bobby Slowick again is working with a guy like CJ Stroud, who CJ Stroud, his skill set allows him to kind of be a pocket passer, but then also kind of just get out and run if he needs to. But he's much, he's a really comfortable pocket passer as well, right? Super accurate, right? And then you look at Ben Johnson, who again is working with veteran Jared Goff. And again, Jared Goff's a guy who is a bit of a bigger quarterback, you know, a player who really likes to go ahead and just kind of sit back there and needs a really good offense in front of him. So if you're hiring Ben Johnson, my guess is you're going Drake May. And then, you know, one intriguing name to me, and this is where I could seriously see the Bears selecting Caleb Williams is if you go with Eric Bieniemy, right? He's working with Sam Howell in Washington right now. Sam Howell, never really known as the biggest guy, always kind of a smaller, shiftier guy that's going to dance around, sort of make a couple things happen, okay? So who you hire based on some of the names that we've talked about, right, is certainly going to play such a big role here. And just looking right now, I mean, it's not hard to see, like, Ben Johnson's working with Jared Goff. This is who Ben Johnson might want versus Eric Bieniemy, right? And even that part of that is also going to come into, you know, what is each of these coaching staff's own vision for the Bears if hired moving forward? 
Yeah, absolutely. And kind of to, I guess, take it to the other direction. What if Ben Johnson, let's say he gets hired with the Bears, he's worked with Jared Goff before. He's kind of this, you know, human lamppost in the pocket. He doesn't really move very well. doesn't have great pocket presence, but he just executes the offense very well. You could say it's very similar to what you're going to get out of Drake May, obviously. But what if he sees kind of the limitations that Jared Goff has had in his offense? And he says, hey, I know what I can get out of a Jared Goff type of quarterback, but to take my offense to the next level, what if Caleb Williams is the guy with his mobility, with his ability to make plays off script? What if he's a guy that can take my offense to the next level? Because, you know, I can scheme up things very well. I can make things very easy for my quarterback, but there are going to be points where the offense is going to bog down. I'm going to need a quarterback that can go, that can go out there and just get me a bucket, so to speak, right? And when you're comparing these top two quarterbacks, there isn't a quarterback in this draft class better at just going out there and getting me a bucket than Caleb Williams, right? So I, I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation, whoever the Bears end up hiring, because like you said, yeah, in terms of like some of the top candidates, they've all worked with a certain specific type of quarterback that, yeah, Drake May probably fits that skill set a little bit better in terms of being that in-pocket, in-structure guy. But it's not like Caleb Williams is like bad in structure or anything or that he can't work in structure. It's just that he does have a tendency when things break down, he is going to forego structure to try and make plays off script. And you know, he has a lot of trust in his own ability to make plays when the play breaks down. And that's just the nature of who Caleb Williams is. And this year, that certainly hurt him a bit more. We saw his sacks increase. We saw his pressure to sack rate went up, you know, his time to throw is going to be very high. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast there, even though he does have a quick release and he can't get the ball out quick and he can process very quickly. He is going to hold on to the ball a lot on some of those key downs where he's trying to make plays. That's just part of the deal with Caleb Williams that you're going to have to live with. And he was going to have to clean up some things like, you know, the fumbles are a huge issue and, he will make a couple in, a couple decisions here and there where you're just like, man, Caleb, where are you throwing that football? Like, why are you throwing it there, right? Where he does have a little bit too much faith in his arm talent to make um, certain throws. But at the end of the day, I'm going to end the Caleb Williams discussion here by saying this, and that's that, look, the Bears are in a very, a very fortunate situation, I think, if they do get the number one overall pick from Carolina, that they are selecting between – two incredibly talented quarterback prospects, right? I am a big fan of both Drake May and Caleb Williams. I think both these guys are going to be stud quarterbacks at the next level. I, I have a, a really high faith in both these guys. And there isn't a, in my opinion, there isn't a bad answer or a bad option there between the two. I think you can go right either way. A lot of it comes down to the stylistic preference you have, who do you think has the right ceiling? Who do you think is going to work best with your next coaching staff, right? That's going to play a big role in it. And I'm going to say this, like, for all – and I've seen this on Bears Twitter quite a bit, and I think a lot of it is because of this paternalistic kind of wanting to defend Justin Fields until the very end because a lot of Bears fans have an attachment to Justin Fields, which I get it. A lot of – all of us wanted to see Justin Fields work and want to see him work for this team long term. Or, you know, at least I, I – well, some of the conversation now is I, I'm – I'm kind of out on Justin Fields long term, but I before that happened, I was all in on Justin Fields and wanted to see him be a success here for the Bears long term and be the guy. We all wanted him to be the guy, but you have to face reality. That's probably not going to happen here. You have to look at this as, look, Justin Fields, maybe he hasn't worked out here. It's not going to work out, but Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever you choose between the two, 
Both of these guys are fantastic prospects. You are, have to be happy with either one of these guys. And Caleb Williams, for all the flaws, for all the struggles he's had this year, I'm glad that actually he's had that adversity because that's going to prepare him for what's going to happen in the NFL where it's not going to be perfect all the time, right? He's going to have some struggles. There are going to be some times where the talent, you know, the, the deck is stacked against him, so to speak. So I, I'm glad that he's facing some adversity now. We've seen him deal with that. And look, in my opinion, Caleb Williams, and we're going to talk about him quite a bit over the offseason, but he is a fantastic prospect. And if he ends up being a, the Bears quarterback starting next offseason, I'm going to be very happy with it. It's unfortunate that, that his college career ended the way it did, where it wasn't the high note that you probably expect from a quarterback prospect of his caliber. But just because you don't have the success you maybe want in college doesn't mean that's not going to translate to the NFL, right? Patrick Mahomes, for the talk of how great he was as a prospect coming out, like he did not have great success in college compared to Caleb Williams, right? He was a guy that was totally a projection going to the NFL, and he worked out just fine. So, um, look, it, it, Josh Allen, even the same thing. Like Justin Herbert, all these, a lot of these top quarterbacks did not have it all go well for them in college, right? So we have to project what they're going to be at the end, at the next level. And I think Caleb Williams, when you consider everything, the good, the bad, the whatever, I think he's a fantastic prospect and would not see me mad whatsoever if he's in a Bears uniform next year. All right. So let's, let's move on then from the quarterback discussion to um, some quick little um, notes here for some other college football prospects because we are nearing the end of the college football season. You know, we're going to get the last couple of regular season games um, this upcoming week, and then we get into conference championship season and then bowl season as well. And then obviously the college football playoff to end the year, end the year, you know, over the next couple of months or so. Right. Um, so right now what we're going to do here is just talk about a couple of players that have been some risers this year in terms of where they are expected to go in the draft and some fallers based off of, you know, where, you know, they were projected early on in the year and where they might end up. Um, when it's all said and done. So let's start off with um, the risers here, you said, and I'll, I'll start off with a guy who has really stood out to me this year, and that's off the tackle, Talis Fuaga out of uh, Oregon State. If I am, yeah, out of Oregon State, I was making sure I just, just didn't get the name right um, for the college there, but you know, you're talking about a big physical guy, um, you know, about 330 pounder, just, Physically imposing left tackle who's a bit more of a mauler, not necessarily a like great athlete, but in a tackle class where you have Olufushan at the top, you have Joe Alt at the top, um, you know, this is a very talented tackle class. And Fuaga is going to be a guy that's going to be in the conversation, in my opinion, for being a first round pick when it's all said and done, based off of how he's played this year. Yeah, and he's certainly one of those, you know, prospects that you feel like kind of tends to go ahead and falls under the radar, okay, as the Colts release Shaq Leonard here. That's kind of news that just broke, so um, sorry I digress for a bit, but whatever. Maybe reunion with Matt Eberflus in Chicago? I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, kind of getting back here to Fuega. I mean, he to me is a really interesting player because I think you talk to a lot of these Oregon State players, and what happens is this, right? Some of them who we've interviewed on this uh, podcast here over the last few years, right, is that they tend to kind of fall under the radar, but they're not necessarily the greatest athletes, but they are without a doubt, you know, pretty solid players. I think you look at the offensive linemen in general. Fuega to me is kind of your prototypical player that's going to come in that is going to go ahead and um start you know not necessarily start right away but a guy who's going to kind of go ahead and uh work to eventually become a starter you know there's a lot of advantages working for him he's about six foot five 320 pounds he started the last two seasons at right tackle for Oregon State and the thing is this right is for those teams that just love to go ahead and love to be run first I mean he's a guy that is going to fit in those run first schemes right you look at him in terms of his physicality at the point of attack and there's a lot of mobility that's there he's willing in those run plays to climb to the second level and then just to be able to take on those linebackers and as well as sometimes even safeties and corners at the point of attack right so it's really a guy who isn't the fastest mover but plays with a consistent enough technique to the point where you say, okay, you know, when it comes to combine testing in the spring, there is going to be something there for him. Yeah, and moving on to some other offensive prospects that have definitely risen over the course of this draft cycle, I, sh- I should say. Um, let's go to the, some wide receivers here and a couple guys that um, could be wide receiver two and three when it's all said and done because, look, as much as we talk of Marvin Harrison Jr. as a generational type of wide receiver prospect, and he is, um, he, he's just special on a different level, there are a lot of wide receivers coming out of the draft this year that are would be wide receiver ones in many other draft classes in previous years. And a couple of names that have stood out to me this year, um, Malik Neighbors out of LSU and Rome Odunze out of Washington. Um, two guys that I, I think in many years would be wide receiver one caliber players. When you look at neighbors, I mean, he is more of that big play threat type of guy who just, whether it's down the field or whether it's getting the ball, you know, underneath and making plays after the catch, um, you, you just watch him on the field and he just moves differently than everybody. You know, he's got this long speed, he's got shiftiness, he's got good body control, um, and the route running has come along this year a little bit as well. And he's one of those guys where, again, just moves just to be a different caliber athlete than everyone on the football field, and that's going to translate really well to the next level. You compare that to Romeo Dunze, who he's got good size, he's got good speed, he's got good strength, right? He, he brings that ability to be that outside wide receiver that can run a lot of vertical routes and just be a vertical ball winner for you at the next level. Um, very good in terms of making contested catches. And you combine that with being a guy that can make contested catches with 4-3 to 4-4 four, four speed. I mean, this is a guy that is just going to be able to be a nightmare, I think, and a true wide receiver one at the next level based off of those attributes that he brings to the table. So, you know, with that said, like, where do you see these guys going in the draft? What are your thoughts on them? And then this wide receiver class in general, man, it's just it's looking to be another loaded group of wideouts entering the NFL. 
Yeah, so Malik Neighbors is going to... Well, let's get this out of the way here, sitting in mid-November, okay? Is that Marvin Harrison Jr. is in a tier of his own. No one's going to challenge him for wide receiver one. But Malik Neighbors is a player who has come on really strong here this season, okay? You look at kind of what a lot of these LSU wideouts have had to go through. And last year, you know, the big question is, what the hell is Keyshawn Booty doing? He was basically in and out for the season and didn't necessarily make an impact. This year, though, I think it's a Malik Neighbors show. You look at the connection that he's built up with quarterback Jaden Daniels. It's been there. It's been solid. He's a guy who has day one playmaker written all over him. He's a guy who's going to go ahead and get in space and really just make something happen. He, to me, I, I mean, it's weird because I think Malik Neighbors, right, really in a sense, right, kind of reminds me a bit of how DJ Moore plays for the Bears, right? In the sense that he's not going to be the biggest guy out there, not necessarily the biggest wide receiver, but it's about six feet tall, 203, you know, it's a bit smaller at times, but really shifty, really elusive, really good footwork, just knowing when and how to kind of use his toes, especially when he's running down the sideline. A guy who's a really solid and Chris Rowe runner as well. Basically, the guy's a yards after the catch machine. Okay, so he's the type of player where if you get a quarterback who can really consistently hit and make throws with anticipation, then you are going to feed Malik neighbors and you're going to really see him take off. And he's also the type of guy from week one until now that you look at and say, okay, he's consistently gotten better each week and that the more you feed him, the better he seems to get. Yep. And I, I'll, I'll say this, like there is a place for wide receivers. Like even if they aren't the biggest guys, if you can separate and if you can get make yards after the catch, there is a place for you in the NFL in terms of being a big play weapon. Like, I'm not going to pair him to Tyree Kill because Tyree Kill is a whole different animal in terms of you know speed and explosiveness and, and shiftiness uh, on the football field. Like he is an athlete, one of, one of one. But look, is Tyree Kill the biggest guy in the football field? No, he isn't, right? Is Jalen Waddle the biggest guy in the football field? No, but those two guys are so effective because they just get open and they have breakaway speed. And when you get the ball in their hands, they have the ability to do something special with it after the catch because they are so quick and they are so explosive. So neighbors, he's, he's a guy that I think is going to be a really fun player to follow in the draft process. And he should be, if the bears can't get Marvin Harrison, I wouldn't be mad with getting either one of these guys you kind of pair with DJ Moore because both of them have very unique talents. But um, going to our guys who have maybe fallen a little bit here in the draft process as the season's gone along here, let's get to our fallers. We'll start wide receiver here as well with um, Emeka Agbuka out of Ohio State. He was another guy who's kind of considered to be like wide receiver two or three going into the year. And now, like, I, I'm not even sure if he's going to be a first-rounder when it's all said and done, you say. And it's not a lot of it is maybe not the fault of his own because quarterback play this year at Ohio State has definitely taken a dip compared to what you got of, out of C.J. Stroud. But, yeah, it's just – it's not that – I think he's a good prospect, but maybe not the kind of wide receiver one special playmaker that I think a lot of people thought he might be able to establish himself as going into the year. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's certainly a fair question to ask, right? Like what exactly happened to Egbuka throughout this season? Okay, I still think, you know, when you look at his numbers from a production standpoint, a lot of the big play numbers are still there, right? Kind of that big play mentality. You look at him this year, I mean, he's average, you know, 13.3 yards per reception. Obviously, that's down from last year. I seriously think it's just because the Ohio State offense in general has not been as, I mean, they've been pretty good, but they just have not been as dominant as we're used to seeing them, right? Under guys like CJ Stroud, as well as Justin Fields, you ultimately kind of look at Ibuka's 2022 season where he finished with, you know, just under 1,200 yards. This year, though, I mean, it's tough to say that he's even going to crack like six or 700, right? Because he's only at 427 total yards right now. And so that, to me, I think is just a product of number one, you know, I don't even think he was ever fully healthy. And then number two, just him being able to not consistently, right, be a force in the passing game. And then I think also the third part is this, is that when – you're playing opposite Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ohio State's been in some tougher situations this year, then it's likely that, you know, you're going to go ahead and they're going to go to Marvin Harrison Jr. like 11 times out of 10. So Buka's just a guy who, you know, again, the measurables you still like because he's 6'1", 203 pounds. You know, he does have that skill set of a modern-day wide receiver. But then the question becomes, like, where does he rank? If I had to grade him today, I would probably say he's going to be a late day two pick. Be a guy who late day two, early day three, you know, similar to Terry McLaurin or even Curtis Samuel when they played at Ohio State back in the day. You know, guys that were pretty solid producers, all right, put the production together, but never really top tier players or athletes. Yeah, and then moving on to a couple other follows here. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball because we talked about the offense quite a bit. But So this upcoming edge class is a polarizing one because going into the year, there were some names at the top that had some people excited. There are some guys that have kind of showed up, like uh, Latu from UCLA um, has definitely, I think, established himself as, uh, I should say, Latu, Latu out of UCLA. He's kind of established himself as kind of edge one. So far, if you kind of ignore the injury concerns with him, but he's been the best performing edge player um, this year going into next year's draft. But there are some other guys, spin up some other guys at the top of this draft class here that have kind of disappointed this year um, compared to their preseason expectations. And a couple of those guys are Jared Verse out of Florida State and JT Tuimoau out of Ohio State, two guys at big universities big programs who had a lot of expectations to kind of take those, those next steps this upcoming year. And neither have really, you know, have really taken advantage of the opportunity. You know, you look at Jared verse, he's a guy where his pass rush, 
know, his pass rushing skill set relies a lot on his natural power, but he's not someone that really stands out, at least when I watch him, that stands out in terms of being that, you know, freak athlete that you really want to see from an edge one at the next level. And I'm talking about like, not even like Miles Garrett, you know, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack levels, but even just like an Aiden Hutchinson where, yeah, he's not like a, a consistent dominant guy, you know, every single week, but he's a number one edge rusher at the next level because he just has that, you know, that baseline of physical tools to kind of work with and verse. It seems like he kind of is, kind of lacking in that and his pass rush this this year is kind of taking a step back and the same can kind of be said for uh Tumalo out of ohio state as well who um you know this is kind of going to be his supposed to be his breakout year kind of his first year as the guy for ohio state on that defense and you know he's a solid run defender um he's got good size on the edge but again just not the most explosive athlete which i think is what hurts him here and when you look at this edge class in general, it, you know, it kind of puts things into question here is because you know, the Bears, they're going to need to invest in defensive line at some point. And there's going to be a lot of conversation with their first-round pick. Do they take an edge rusher? Do they take an interior defensive lineman? And honestly, when you look at this defensive line class in general, it's very underwhelming in terms of the sense that I don't think there's anybody that I feel comfortable at this point in the process taking with the top 10 pick. So let's kind of talk about Jared Verse first, because if you go back to, you know, July and August, the kind of a lot of talk around mock drafts and just preseason projections were the fact that he was going to be the edge rusher one. And, you know, for me, that was kind of true, too. I was like, look, if you're taking an edge rusher in 2024, if you're the Bears, it has to be Jared Verse, right? or Dallas Turner, one of the two. But then again, as the season goes on, this just goes to show it's an annual reminder for all of us of how quickly things can change. Ferris has kind of fizzled out. Now, I still think he's going to be a first-round pick. It's just there's a big difference between being drafted top three, top five, top ten versus like being you know a top 15 or top 20 pick, right? And so Ferris, to me... Again, I think the potential is still there, but just he really has not been living up to the hype. And then you look at JT Tolomou from Ohio State. And, you know, Ohio State's interesting because they also have his counterpart, Jack Sawyer, there. And both of them at one point were being projected as first-round picks, but they necessarily have not become that at all, right? You're looking at players who, again, are solid off the edge they've got size you know they have some speed that limited explosiveness does kind of hurt them and so now you're looking at players who could quite possibly fall out of round one and really just kind of start their careers as being you know rotational players in the nfl be like second third round rotational guys and then eventually if they land in the right situation with the right development they start but those, like Tolomo to me, reminds me of Bengals defensive end Sam Hubbard right now. Again, a guy who never really was a top-tier player coming out, but was solid enough to the point where you saw, yeah, there's something there that this guy could start for us and start for any team, really, for five, six, seven, eight seasons. Yeah, and I think that's the important distinction to make. I, I'm not saying... By calling them fallers, we're not saying that these are bad prospects by any means, but 
look, when you have the reputation going into the year of being a top guy and not really performing at that level, that is going to put some questions on your kind of long-term outlook, I guess you could say, at the next level. And look, I mean, it's going to be a long process. We still have, you know, postseason bowl games and we have, you know, the combine and we have the senior bowl. There's a lot of time between now and the draft to be able to kind of sort these guys out and finalize like your rankings on these guys. But it's important to keep those names in mind when we get to that process um, in the off season. All right. Well, it's we're getting uh, low on time here. You said, so I think it's going to be time for us to kind of wrap it up Um, before we get going here. You said I'll end on this prediction for this upcoming game. The bears will be playing the Vikings on Monday night football. So let me get your prediction and then favorite Thanksgiving food. What do you got? Okay, so favorite Thanksgiving food. See, that's a good one. I definitely like mac and cheese as well as mashed potatoes. But the mac and cheese has to have some like legit uh, seasoning to it. You know, turkey, I am honestly like, I like turkey too, but I'm not the biggest fan of like having turkey all the time. I'm not one of those people who eat it like for three or four days afterwards um and you know looking at this bears vikings game right so this is a game where if you look at the bears play calling over the last few weeks you look at the play calling with justin fields in this game against detroit you saw them going a lot more condensed formations to go ahead and really counter what the Lions are going to throw at them and I think that's got to be the mentality here a lot of like you know 11 12 personnel a lot of you know jumbo tight end sets to really counter what Brian Flores is going to throw at the Bears here because as crazy as it sounds the Vikings were here in what week five in Chicago yeah this is a much better Bears offense and much better Bears team seven to eight weeks later and so i think that the bears are going to go into minneapolis on monday night on a national stage they're going to make a statement they're going to steal a win and end up winning 27 to 17 against a team that yes is in the middle of the nfc wild card race right now but they're still seemingly searching for answers and again possibly not having receiver justin jefferson playing helps the bears out a lot so I'll start with my Thanksgiving food as well. I, I'm kind of in agreement with you on turkey. So turkey is kind of a weird one for me where the meat itself is just very dry. It's very tough to cook. So you either got to have it where you're having a turkey leg, where you got all the seasoning on the skin and whatnot. That makes it good. Or you got to have it with some type of gravy, right? If you don't have it with gravy, then it can get pretty – it can be pretty bland to kind of have. And I'm with you. Like outside of Thanksgiving, I'm not a big turkey guy in terms of – um, my meat selection, I guess you could say. Um, I'm with you on like mac and cheese and potatoes. I would say like cheese and potatoes is a good one. Um, that's one of my favorite side dishes to kind of have. But I, I will say like for me, like cranberry sauce, I, I don't know where you stand on it, but I'm a big cranberry sauce guy. So I'm, I'm going to say that cranberry sauce is one of my favorite uh, Thanksgiving foods to kind of have just kind of as that little sweet side dish that you kind of have to kind of break up the monotony of some of the other sides you kind of work with there. Now, in terms of football, um, in terms of this upcoming Bears game, I think this one's going to be a sucky game, personally, because the Vikings defense, I think they match up terribly. Or I should say this Bears offense matches up really poorly with this Vikings defense because we saw the last time they played each other, um, 
Brian Flores, he is just one of the best defensive coordinators working today. And he's a bad – Justin Fields just does not do well processing pre-snap all the different blitz looks that Brian Flores is going to put put out there for him. Um, you know, Luke Getzey had a terrible game plan the last time they ended up playing each other because they went all empty and shotgun looks. And, you know, that's just not – this type of looks that Justin Fields does well with. He, he needs to get on the move. He needs to continue to play those, those play action boot concepts and read option concepts and, and continue to make those a big part of the offense. So maybe they try to emphasize that a little bit more. Maybe Justin Fields learns from that first meeting they had and um, is a little bit better at handling the blitzes and pressure schemes that Brian Flores is going to have prepared for him. But I don't really feel confident about this Bears offense um, having a good day in this one. Um, and on the other side, like the defense should do well against a Josh Dobbs led offense without Justin Jefferson. But I don't know. I, I think the Vikings make just enough plays to pull out a close one here. We're going to have a very ugly 17 to 14 um, loss for the Bears on the road here um, in, in this one. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us here for the Pixel Pulls podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to us on on all of your podcasting platforms whether it's on spotify or whatever you get your podcast make sure to follow us on twitter as well at picture pulls and follow the bear report on twitter at bear report you say where can our listeners find you on social media and find your work yeah guys so you can find me on social media at usaid koshul be sure to follow my work on the bear report website as well yep and you can find me on twitter at aj freeman 25 you can find my work on the bear report as well and for all of our listeners out there uh, have a happy thanksgiving um, enjoy your long day of being with friends and family and just eating and watching football i know that's what i'm going to be doing all day so i'm i can't wait like i said before thanksgiving it's one of my favorite holidays if not my favorite holiday um definitely looking forward to it but until next time have yourself a great holiday have a great weekend and bear down this is the story of the one As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.